Hello, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mainly from expelling vapors and sweating. When you wake up in the morning, most of the time, you're actually pretty dehydrated. And what most people do is grab that cup of coffee. Well, Routine has brought their own proprietary product to market, which is called Morning Routine. And it's a it's a single-serve packet. Uh, I take one every morning, rip it open, dump it into 20 ounces of water, shake it up, uh, and really, honestly, rehydrate myself first thing in the morning. Each packet contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. If you'd like to go to Routine and try their morning routine products or any of their other products, including green superfoods, vitamin D, apple cider vinegar gummies, elderberry gummies, and even some other awesome products, go to yourroutine.com. And if you guys use code SHANEWHITE30 at checkout, you get 30% off your first order. Today's episode is also brought to you by Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about Sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. It's gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contains only one gram of sugar. That's right, one gram of sugar. Uh, These donuts are badass. I'm not going to lie. Love them. They have become a staple in our house. They're a great way to get that sweet treat that you want without giving up all of the sugar and carbs that you don't want. Uh, Loaded with protein, low in sugar. They're a great, great snack, especially when you're looking for that high protein, low sugar, and you want to stay in that gluten-free, keto-free diet lifestyle. All right, everybody, you can get yours today at EliteDonut.com or something pretty cool. You can also get them on Amazon, and you can use code ShaneWhite30 for 30% off either one. So if you want to go to their direct-to-consumer website, EliteDonut.com, or Amazon. Either way, the code ShaneWhite30 will get you guys 30% off. Pretty sweet little deal I got. All right, everybody. Today's episode is another duo. The co-founders of Ryan Snacks, Ben Cohn and Matt Wise, are on the podcast today. I've loved to get to know these guys. They uh, have become, you know, mentors, friends, guys that are in the industry that I've gotten to learn from and talk to from time to time this year and during the pandemic. I wanted to get them on the podcast as Ryan Snacks has really started to take off in retail and online, and they're bringing um, fruit snacks that have the peel on them, the rind, uh, part of the fruit, and and Matt and Ben get into it. They can explain it way better to me what the additional health benefits are, but a really unique, um, but really at its core, a simple product, Uh, and I've also become a big fan they become a staple in our house as well. All these products we promote on here, me and my wife, Kelly, do love. Um, so excited to get Ben and Matt on the show. Without further ado, give it up for Ben and Matt. Welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am stoked today to have two great fellows on the podcast, the co-founders of Ryan Snacks, Matt Wise and Ben Cohn. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. What's up, Shane? Great to be here. Great to have you guys. I'm super excited about this one. I, if anyone's watching this on YouTube, we got Ryan in the background. 
if you guys haven't uh, seen Rind or tried Rind, it's a brand that's about to blow up and it's blowing up, I should say. But before I get too excited and jump in, Matt, you want to introduce yourself first and then we have Ben on here too. So we'll kind of walk through introducing both of you guys and we'll just jump into the brand. You bet. Uh, really privileged to be on your podcast and uh, excited to share the Rind story with your listeners. Uh, so Rind is, uh, is a brand focused on the power of the peel. We're shaking up the sleepy dried fruit space with a focus on functional nutrition in the skin of the fruit and sustainable snacking by using the whole fruit and increasingly rescued fruit. Uh, like Shane said, my name is Matt Weiss. I founded the company in 2017 as a true side hustle. I spent a two decade career in finance in New York City. Loved what I was doing there, was in a very safe you know, setup, but felt like something was missing uh, in my professional development and fulfillment. Always wanted to build something and love to snack. Who doesn't? Fell in love with this industry uh, really over the last 10 years when my research coverage for the mutual fund I was working for took me to the Expo Wests of the world. And if you're, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with those sort of Super Bowls of snacks and those shows, and it's just intoxicating. The innovation that's happening at the early stage and the ability to gain real market share quickly for emerging brands, the playing field is leveled and it's never been a more exciting time to start a brand. Uh, it got real when I was living a double life and running Rhine nights and weekends and trying to you know, concentrate at work when the business was picking up ahead of steam. Um, a really good situation where I sort of had a frank discussion with my boss who'd been a mentor for me for 20 years and said, uh, this is my dream and this is what I love to do. And I didn't know if he was going to show me the door. Um, instead he said, you got to do this. This is your shot. Wow. And so with, with that sort of support, it made the jump off, uh, relatively painless, although everything is a grind, but what made it even more exciting was to embark on this journey uh, to run Rind full-time with my brother-in-law, Ben, uh, as my business partner. And uh, with that preamble, I'll turn it over to Ben to give his, his version of events. Love it. Yeah, thank you, Matt. And thanks, Shane. Great, great to be here and, and chat with you. Um, so as Matt said, we are brothers-in-law and uh, Matt started dating my sister in college. So I've, I've known Matt for close to 20 years, if not more than, uh, more than 20 years. And you know the two of us have batted around ideas for uh, for a very long time. We lived around the corner in, in Manhattan for about 15 years together. And as Ryan became you know more you know real and less side hustle, Matt in the middle of 2019 kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, I'm going to consider leaving my career in finance. Do you want to do the same thing?" Uh, I also came from a similar background, um, whereas Matt was at a growth uh, mutual fund and was kind of looking at you know big picture where is the world going, what is the TAM, what is Kind of this business is going to be like in five or 10 years. I came from a background in distressed credit. Uh, so we had very different finance backgrounds, which I think was great as we embarked on this journey together. Um, you know, we really have complementary skill sets. And as I considered, you know, taking the leap and leaving finance to get into food, um, I really believed in the vision that Matt had for Rind. Uh, you know, I believed in him as, as, an, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, and I also believed in what we could build together and said, you know what, like, there's no better opportunity. Let's do it. And you know, both of us left our jobs in January of 2020 and, you know, then COVID hit. Wow. 
Yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't know if I ever put that timeline together. I've known you guys for a little while now and, and didn't know. I don't think I knew that. That's interesting. So you guys, I would love to go back to the beginning. Like when you guys are having these conversations early on, um, like what was that like with your wives, for example, and like the family? Cause like, I'm thinking like, you know, I'm, what am I seven years into my career? Um, so fast forward 13 years from now, like, yeah, at that point, usually a lot of people kind of get into a, a routine and they're like in a great spot and, you know, maybe you're halfway through your career or whatever it may be. What, what were some of those early conversations like for people out there listening who maybe were in that, you know, are in the same boat today and, and haven't made the jump yet? I think Ben would probably have a lot of good perspective on that. For me, it was, you know, I was always throwing a lot at the wall as far as entrepreneurial pursuits, uh, kind of a restless mind. And um, I, I'm sure at many family get togethers, whatever idea that I was working on at the time would get a lot of like eye rolls and like, just keep your head down, work on your day job. <laughs> but with Ryan, it really did start to take on a life of its own. This you know, very elegant concept around edible peels being a nutritional powerhouse and yet such a source of unnecessary food waste mm-hmm. that it was the most powerful of the ideas that I've been working on. And I think it was, it became very exciting to get the updates and share them with family and friends and get advice and input and very quickly realized I can't do this alone. I need to build this with people I trust. I love the idea of building a family business that has legacy for you know my family, Ben's family, and um, just really building. Honestly, at the end of the day, it's like, this is the opportunity where Ben and I sit across, had been sitting across the desks of many founders, maybe at different life cycles of their businesses and hearing their dreams and their journeys. And very easy for us to go back and model out how those dreams develop. Another thing entirely to check the ego, roll up the sleeves and get in the trenches and try to build something enduring. So that was like the most satisfying thing. And uh, it required the support of family. My wife is a saint for letting me do this. Um, And I think it was made easier knowing that her brother (laughs) who brings a lot of really important strategic skill sets to the table that I lack, uh, you know, that are strengths for him for this to really be even more powerful together. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine it wasn't so, I mean, in your family, it wasn't just one of you guys. It was, Oh no, we're both jumping in on this. That's a, that's a big, it's a big pivot. It's a big pivot. It's exciting though. Was it like early on, like you guys were talking about, like it was a side hustle at first. What were some of those? I'm sure you can think back. It wasn't that long ago, but what, what was like some of that? Like you said, late nights, weekends, like the very beginning, what was a lot of that? Was it like getting, you know, the first couple rounds of production done? Like, did you make, how did you like even begin all that? Like, I think that's a lot of people listening, ask that question, like a product like Rhine, for example, it's not necessarily like an RX bar where you can, you know, Peter and Jared made that in their kitchen, the first couple batches. Were you able to do something like that with Ryan early on? A little bit. Um, What it looked like was a total mess where you'd have less than truckload pallet deliveries of dried fruit snacks show up and have your doorman cover for you and be like, yeah, this ain't going to fly. Like you can't run a small business from your storage locker. Oh, because you were trying to do this in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Well, I was self-distributing. I wasn't in UNFI yet. I was, there was probably, Ben probably saw me 
when we overlapped our time in, in Manhattan with like six boxes in tow wherever I went and doing drops. Wow. And that was how, I think that's how any small business honestly should start, you know, where you really do get a sense of the unglamorous side and make sure you want to do this where you feel safe or comfortable jumping off into this, you know, taking those big risks. But um, yeah, look, in the beginning, I, I love to snack. Again, I think everyone does. I think dried fruit is boring and was missing some excitement. And what I did when I had my first child in 2009, 2010, I bought a food dehydrator. Mm. <laughs> it was like a very weird Amazon shopping cart. If you go back in time and look at that, cause we had a newborn. So it was like baby clothes and like sharp blades for slicing, you know, thin cuts of fruit and vegetables. Yeah. It's really weird. Uh, Anyways, was dehydrating in my apartment, like cantaloupe, watermelon, unique fruits that turned. Oh, so into you were doing this for fun. You were doing this for like fun for early yeah, it was on. Total hobby. I thought a fruit snack concept using cool fruits. It was before the idea of the rind kicked in, and it was just fun. But it was like blowing the power to the apartment was was a bit of a hot mess, <laughs> and but the seed of the idea was always there. And then Ben and I would just ideate you know, late nights, probably a couple, couple IPAs in <laughs> just talk about, you know, what if it looked more like this? And what if you had the brand had more dimension and it's not scalable in the current format, you can't self-distribute in concentric circles and have a big business. And um, I'll let him pick it up from there, but, you know, getting into the messy middle in the beginning, I think is the only way to know what's working, what's not. And, leaning into whatever demand you're starting to see. Yeah, I'd say during those early days, uh, you know, again, Matt and I lived around the corner, so I would definitely see him, you know, pushing a cart uh, over to Chelsea Market. I feel like <laughs> there was definitely also a lot of days in the, in the park where, you know, I'd be there with, you know, my sister and Matt's kids where Matt was, you know, doing some demo, you know, somewhere in, in New Jersey. I think, you know, Kings was one of our early accounts out there in Bautucci's and, you know, Matt would drive somewhere on a Saturday and, you know, I would not necessarily go with him, but I would be with the kids <laughs> day, you know, trying to, trying to lend a hand to the, uh, the family. Um, but yeah, I say that was, you know, the big transition was really, you know, Matt did a phenomenal job as a side hustle of building the brand and getting, you know, the product out there and really understanding like what consumers were gravitating towards and, you know, building a brand almost before business. And then as the two of us really linked up in late 2019 and, you know, while we left our jobs, Jan, Feb of 20, we're really, you know, doing this close to full time, you know, the last three months or so of 2020 as well, as we got ready to raise our, our seed round. And it was really starting to think through if we're going to do this, you know, how do you scale it, right? This isn't just, we're not going to leave our careers, as you said, you know, our 20 year careers, we're both doing very well to do something that didn't have the ability to be a real business and be, as Matt said, enduring. I think that's something that both of us felt really passionate is let's build something that matters, that means something that, you know, consumers want to be a part of. And that truly is enduring and leaves a legacy. And you can't do that unless you can scale it. So we've really spent a lot of the last 18 months building on those plans that we had in late 2019, early 2020 of taking what's, I think, a really big idea and turning it into something that can be a really big business. Wow. Yeah. No, I love that. I love the, the concept of going after brand first too. It's a really interesting way to think about it, right? I mean, lots of people can try to bring a product to market, but the the brand and trying to scale, I mean, that's, those are two concepts that um, maybe sometimes are early on widely overlooked. 
for you guys, even like, you know, the first thing that I, I thought came to mind when you guys both came from long, longer careers in finance, and that's like what you guys knew really well, even with Matt getting into the, the consumer space from a finance lens early on, you know, even simple things like where do you source the fruit where, who designs the packaging? Like some of those, like very, like, I think a lot of times we overlook that, that stuff. Like, where did you guys even go for that type of work? And like, how did you guys get all of that rolling for Rind? You know, I love those little tiny minutiae that are, you know, some of the most important details. I think everyone just wants to be, how do I get to finished product and not understand it's a lot of little steps that help build the business that are not, again, not glamorous, not sexy, but essential, like getting a tax ID number, incorporating as an LLC, <laughs> trademarking your name, um, procuring, you know, raw material, talking yeah. to co-packers. Each one of those is a very daunting task, if not broken down into its component parts. And it stops most people from jumping in, right? It's so easy to just keep it as an idea in your mind and not take that next step. You know, Don Shula I'm from Miami. So yeah, he has a famous quote, which is it's the start that stops most people. Mm. And the second you take a small step, and you do something, you have a little skin in the game and you're going to, you're going to be invested to take that next step. And when it came to putting, it's all it is, is putting the pieces of a puzzle together. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not oversimplifying it, but few people go from idea to a concrete action step that makes it more real. And when they do that, it leads to the need to take another step and another step. And it's just so easy to give up anywhere along the chain. But if you're like five steps in, you're 99% ahead of anyone else who's just an idea person and not a doer. Sure. So sure. dried fruit, it's not, you know, we're taking a, we're sourcing product from these amazing family farms and suppliers in Central Valley, California, increasingly importers. We are having them manufactured to certain specifications. In our case, it's all about that peel and the rind and maximizing that. Um, and then blending them uniquely into um, craveable, uh, delicious bags of dried fruit that just haven't been made before in the same way, like watermelon and coconut or persimmon and peach um, or kiwi and orange. And so that the homework of just getting that piece of the puzzle together is going to the shows that no one likes to go to. Like Expo West is also fun and sexy. But if you really want to find partners to, to build a business, you go to the shows that are the supplier shows, mm. not the brand shows. Little tip. And yeah, when that. you do, you then it's like, how well do you read people? And how well can you find instinctively who, good, who the good people are and get to know them and what share with them your vision and find out if there's a partnership opportunity, not a transactional opportunity. That was kind of how it began. Got it. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And I, I, I've found that to be such a truth. And like, even this podcast I've talked about it here before, it was like, <clears throat> I had always talked about doing one. And then it was like, oh, just like record one and just put it out there. No one's going to listen to it anyway. And I remember doing that. And then I was like, I'm going to do one, you know, do one for 30 days in a row. And I remember I just did 30. So then I had 31 episodes. And so like, then like, I get it though. It's like, it can be applied to a lot of different things. And Ryan's a good example. I just love that hustle. I love that you guys both were like, 
you know, it wasn't something you just like walked out of, of school and started doing. You guys were had careers, you saw a gap and you guys just started working and building towards it. So awesome on that front. That's really cool to hear. Um, so once you guys had the product, you guys are, you know, like you said, you're going door to door in New York and you're self-distributing. It sounds like then that was like some of your first distribution channels. When did you guys get into e-commerce? I know you have your own website. You guys are doing well on Amazon. Like how, how has distribution kind of changed over the last couple of years for you guys? Ben, you want to take that one? Sure. So, you know, as, as we left, you know, our careers in early 2020, we had some really exciting accounts lined up that, you know, pre, pre-COVID when trade shows existed, you know, Matt did a phenomenal job of locking in some really core anchor accounts. Um, and we also had some pretty good geographic density. So, you know, in the first half of 2020, we launched into uh, Whole Foods Mid-Atlantic region, which is one of the larger regions, um, the Fresh Market, which has really good density as well in the, the Northeast Mid-Atlantic and Wegmans. So that was three really wow. great anchor accounts um, that gave us something to kind of focus around in terms of strategy to say, hey, let's really build out our presence, you know, on the East Coast, in the Northeast, in the Mid-Atlantic. We also had some good accounts like Erewhon and Foxtrot. Um, which aren't necessarily as many doors as some of those accounts, but really good for just getting the brand out there. And, you know, I think that those are the kind of accounts that can like really just get the ball rolling in the right direction for you. So we didn't want to bite off more than we can chew in, in or those early days in early 2020. It was really like, let's focus on performing really well in the accounts that we have and learning what is it that customers do and don't like. And before we start to go after another thousand doors, let's do a really good job with these first three or 400 doors that we have. So I'd say that was a key component of our strategy was execution in the key partners that we had and making sure that we, you know, again, we're being great partners to them and not looking for the new, the new partner on the other side. Um, and beyond that, we've really tried to have a strong omni-channel approach where we kind of look at the world with a few different angles. One is traditional brick and mortar, whether it's natural or conventional club. We kind of view that as, again, the brick and mortar channel, which is really, really important. But again, we want to move at a steady and methodical pace there. Um, the other two avenues would be, you know, I think e-com, which we kind of classify as Amazon and then our website and focusing the right amount of resources and energy there and finding strategies that work and, you know, products that resonate with consumers. And then the third channel would be alternative distribution. And I think of alternative distribution can be both sort of digital online subscription boxes. We've had great partnerships with companies like Hungry Root and Imperfect Foods, high brands. We're gonna be launching with Thrive very soon here. Um, we think there's a lot of opportunity for a brand like Rhyme that really connects with consumers. I think the mission-based you know, part of our business really connects a lot with those same customers at a lot of those alternative distribution channels. Um, and then we also think there's options in brick and mortar alternative distribution. You know, Juice Press has been a great customer of ours. We have a lot of other uh, customers that are very similar where they have like, whether it's a juice shop or sandwich shop, a salad shop, we just think we have a brand with a lot of diversity. Um, and as a, as a result, we can truly be an omni-channel brand that is succeeding again, brick and mortar, alternative and then traditional e-com. Yeah, no, definitely. I love that. It's, it's interesting too, because you guys have a product and you, you know this better than me, obviously, but it seems like it's a, there's not like a specific use occasion. Like I think of Ryan could be used, you know, people could eat it in the morning. You could eat it at lunch. You could eat it as a nighttime snack. Is that pretty true? Like, I mean, can it be, do people, most of your consumers yeah. kind of eat it around the clock? Yeah. Ben and I are really, we talk a lot about this, that there are a few snacks that have true all day use cases. I mean, for breakfast, you're not going to have a bag of like Cheetos <laughs> unless you want to feel not, yeah. <laughs> terrible the whole day. Um, nothing against Cheetos, but you know, whereas 
because our product is fruit based, right. And is a hundred percent fruit today. Um, a bag of like orange chips, you know, which so good are single ingredient, thin cut and crispy instead of drinking a really sugary glass of OJ in the morning where all the fiber has been kind of stripped away and the juices from concentrate, you can have a high fiber, super high immunity boosting snack that fills you up and versus having orange juice and a processed food that doesn't give you the same sort of long lasting energy. Then at night, you know, you get home after a long day of work and you want to like elevate, you know, a Monday or Tuesday night cocktail, you put a rind orange chip kiwi chip on the rim of your glass and you've got you know a nice time to relax with you know a significant other or you know zoom events or so there's really high versatility and it's not just breakfast and drinks it's all day snacking cheese boards graze boards but you're right it's got versatility as a snack which i don't think you can say the same about popcorn just as an example definitely not no 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 and it's interesting too because your guys's product in my mind um it's, it's funny. It kind of bridges this gap. And one of the things we've talked about here a little bit, like something I've lived through is when COVID hit being at RX, for example, like the use case for a, like a protein bar kind of went away for a little bit. Like most people weren't really stocking up on protein bars when they were at home, but something like ride is interesting. Cause like, I mean, to be honest, like we have our, we have a bunch in the pantry. I will grab it from time to time and snack on it at home, but it's also like, the sizes make sense where like, I'll take it with me when I, you know, if I'm going to be like running around running errands on an afternoon, like it's a great option to like take on the go. So it kind of can like bridge that gap too. You guys, I feel like you guys kind of check the boxes on a lot of these multiple case occasions, I guess. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, we were at Expo East uh, a couple weeks ago and, you know, it was that, that first day was pretty well attended, you know, basically we're on our feet from 10 to five without any breaks. And then, you know, I kind of was like, wow, I'm really hungry. I've been standing up for seven hours and, you know, I need something to eat. And I was like, huh, the coconut in the, you know, the cocoa melon is the perfect thing for me. So I opened up a bag of that. I had a little bit and it kind of refreshed me for that last hour. Sure. Um, But it's the kind of thing where over time, you know, I've done that so many times where, you know, if I'm driving around visiting stores and I'm hungry, I'll pick up a bag of strawberry and, you know, it'll give me a little boost of energy. So I absolutely think that depending on the mood you're in and what you're looking for, we have a product for you. And whether that's first thing in the morning, late afternoon, late morning, you know, late night, you know, there really is always a use occasion for rind. And, you know, Matt and I at this point have eaten enough of it that we could probably, you know, uh, write a book on it, but there really are just so many different things, you know, whether it's a cocktail, the cheese board or otherwise. Yeah, no, I know. I love it. I love it. I love what you guys are building. I think it's really cool. Um, I think it's interesting too um, for you guys. So like kind of back up a little bit, you, you guys started this as a side hustle. And one of the things about going zero to one that we talk about a lot on here is this concept of either bootstrapping or raising capital. And, and to, to give everyone a little, a little sneak peek, you guys just finished raising a round of capital. So congratulations on that. It's a, you know, obviously a, a huge accomplishment. Um, but early on, would love to know what your guys's philosophy was around the, the topic. Obviously, if you're, if you're working and trying a side hustle, you know, you can obviously put some funds towards that. But did you guys have any early thoughts when you started the, the brand? Um, just like how you guys wanted to think about bootstrapping and then eventually fundraising and just early thoughts that you guys had as you guys kind of went into this endeavor. Yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off. And then Ben, please chime in. I would say this is one of those cool benefits, I think, of starting a company 
a little bit later. Um, you know, we're both in our 40s, early 40s, and uh, you see amazing entrepreneurs that are that just like hit it with their first product or their first, you know, go around and they're fresh out of college and, you know, God bless, more power to them. I think it was uh, more important to me to build up not just a little bit of a nest egg where I could bet on myself and, and our ideas, um, you know, without raising outside funds. Uh, and then two, having a network of family and friends who could, who, who you know, believed in me, uh, believed in me and Ben, and therefore could be a friends and family round uh, early of some of the most trusted people we could have. And that was, I think, the best advantage of starting this in my, you know, when I was like 40, was a little bit wiser, <laughs> uh, had put some money away to bootstrap it, and then had a circle of friends between Ben and myself, a lot of finance folks, uh, <laughs> who were excited to start, not just take a flyer on us, but were like, frankly, this was the most interesting idea in their portfolio because it was a breath of fresh air to be investing in a tangible brand and product instead of a small unknown stock where they might lose everything. Sure. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, and for, and for people listening who maybe would want to go down this route of whether they've started something or, or thinking about doing a friends and family round, was there anything, you know, lessons learned, or I would love to just understand, you know, I'm sure it's a little nerve wracking taking money from friends and family on a, on something that you hope is going to work out. But um, what was some of those conversations like, like, you know, just for people listening who maybe have been worried about even going down that route to ask friends and family. Yeah. Look, more than half the round was like Ben's friends. So I'll let Ben, <laughs> I'll let ben kick, it, kick it off. He was really instrumental in helping get the seed round together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, once we knew we wanted to raise money, we, we did have an institutional investor that kind of had helped, you know, lay out what a term sheet would look like. So it was also helpful that, you know, there was a term sheet as we started to, you know, seek out money from friends and family, because essentially they could say, hey, there's an institutional investor who has vetted this and, and really it helped to, I think, give us some additional credibility. Um, and then, you know, really a lot of it was reaching out to people we thought would be interested, but putting no pressure on them. I mean, mm. the first thing I said in every single email or phone call I had was zero pressure. You know, we're going to be able to raise this capital with or without your participation. I only want you to do this. If it's something that you believe in and it's something you're going to be passionate about, because what we don't need is people coming into our book who like are going to write a check and never think about Ryan again until the next one. I think it was really important to us to build it with people who really while they're friends, they also believe in the mission and what we're trying to accomplish. And I think sort of phrasing it that way, portraying it that way, you know, allowed people to feel really good about investing in not just Matt and I, but really like what we're trying to build and not have it have the pressure of you're writing a check to us. It was really they're writing a check to Rind. And that, again, was something that was really important for us to make sure that this was truly that sense of passion. And if it we're obviously very bullish on Ryan. You know, nobody's making a bigger bet than Matt and I are. Um, but we did, again, didn't want that pressure, which is where I think you can run into trouble. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you guys suggest that starting with friends and family and kind of getting into the fundraising side of things through that route is better than going straight institutional and, and getting in, you know, getting involved with maybe folks that, you know, you don't have as close of a relationship with? Yeah, I would say um, you want to be in a 
position where you have lots of different options. Um, really hard to do, but that's where you want to be. And I would just say, if you have something on your hands that's exciting and palpable, uh, the interest will follow. Um, and if, if people are doing their job and paying attention, I think you got to get yourself into the path of discovery through trade shows. So, you know, I can imagine it's been really hard for new entrepreneurs for the last two years prior to Expo East finally opening up to really get their brand story out there in front of buyers, in front of investors who walk those shows. Um, that was very important for us. So were it not for that, where our seed investor first discovered us and then would just see us show to show and say, you know, when you're ready to, to, to leave your job, you know, we'll be one of the first checks in and um, uh, yeah. cultivating those relationships and getting to know the people and the players you want to be partnered up with for the long term is really important. Um, but I also say it's, uh, it's really important to do it with like, like the way Ben put it with sort of trusted family and friends for whom they're doing this, not because they need to, but because they want to, and they, they're, they're evangelizing alongside you as founders, the story, they get so excited to share with their networks about Rind. And I can't tell you how many interesting like coincidences or even business opportunities that have arisen from having an amazing group of investors and friends in our, you know, in our, in our book. Definitely. Yeah, I bet. And I, I feel like it's probably, it was probably wild for you guys too going through that process. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would assume like the careers you guys were both on, it probably, that probably was a very uncommon thing to, you know, leave those jobs and, and start a, a food brand. Right. So I'm sure a lot of your colleagues, friends, family were, it was an exciting thing to, to get behind and, and to do. Um, no, that's really cool. What, so and then you guys, you guys, you did the seed round and then you guys actually just finished, you finished an additional round, right? You've now done two. Yeah. Yeah. Really big series A round. Ben, why don't you give the background on that? Yeah. So we raised the seed round that closed in January of 2020. Um, and then as we were heading into the first part of 2021, we started to contemplate uh, a new round of financing and Largely, you know, Matt and I had been running, you know, the business, basically just the two of us as full-time employees since we, you know, from basically February 2020 until March of, of 2021, when we hired our, our first full-time employee, a director of sales. Um, and we said, you know, to build the business, we really need to, you know, raise a little bit more capital and start to think about team and also new distribution opportunities. So the, the timing was right to start looking for more capital. Um, and, you know, Again, I feel like we were in a fortunate position of having a great lead investor from the prior round and some really supportive friends and family who were kind of like, hey, if you guys are raising capital again, let us know we're in. So we were coming at it from a position of we felt good about where we are. Um, and also Matt and I, I think just coming from finance are a little bit more fluent in some of this. And, you know, we're always fundraising. Everybody's always fundraising. You know, we, we really enjoy, honestly, conversations with investors because it's kind of, you know, <laughs> you know it puts on that, that investing hat that both of us have worn for a very long time. Um, and then in the spring, you know, we kind of met up with uh, VSV, um, you know, Valor Cyber Ventures, which is based out of Chicago. And it was just, it, ha it happened fairly quickly, but there's also some really good alignment where they're very focused on this omni-channel strategy and alternative distribution, which, you know, is it, is really one of the core tenets of our strategy. And we linked up with them, had some really good meetings. And, you know, I think we were both really aligned with them and said, 
let's do it. And, you know, let's do it where you have enough capital to build the team and really go after it and not kind of do it piecemeal where you, you raise a little bit now and then you've got to raise a little bit more. Like by raising, you know, raise over $6 million, it's really allowed us to start building up the team. And it's, as we've grown, you know, our run rate is up, you know, 3X from where it was last year. And as we exit the year, it's probably closer to four to five times, you know, what our revenue would be in Q4 versus Q4 last year. We, we need that team. Wow. Yeah. If we hadn't raised the capital and had the team, you know, Matt and I, our, our families would start losing patience, to be quite honest. <laughs> so, you know, linking up, it's, it's, it's the idea of find the right partners. You know, I think yeah. when you raise capital, it's really important, whether it's friends and family, whether it's institutional, to make sure there's alignment, that they're good people and they're people that you want to build a business with and that believe in what you're doing, right? So I think that is something that as we raise institutional money, it was the same conversation we had with our friends and family. If you believe in what we're doing, and you want to be a part of it, we want to partner with you. Let's do it. Love yeah. that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really fun. I mean, that, that's, just, I can imagine, I can see you guys in these conversations. I'm sure that's, that's fun to talk about. You guys both obviously are very passionate about Ryan. So I'm sure that comes through. So, I mean, getting that level of funding, obviously that's gotta be like a, a true flame on the fire, right? What has it been like then pivoting from just the two of you trying to scale this business on your own to now trying to build a team? I'm sure I mean, you hit on it, but like, that's got to be a big pivot in the day-to-day of what you guys are used to. I'll let Ben, you know, chime in, but that's been one of the most rewarding aspects of running Rind is uh, (laughs) growing from just Ben and myself day-to-day to a team of amazing, talented, uh, you know, people that believe in Ryan's mission and are all in on our brand and its potential and spending what we call like perma zooms with these people all day, even though, you know, we've met in person once or twice, we feel like we know them intimately and building that kind of family almost, you know, that culture is what makes this, is, is that intangible of the business that's value creating. Um, it's, it's so special. It's that secret sauce. It's still very early days, but we've been, very selective with each hire and feel like we've knocked it out of the park with each hire. So we have a director of sales based out of San Diego. We have a marketing associate that sits here in New York and we have a supply chain director that's out of Chicago. And um, it's still, you know, early days. We get amazing looks at people who are looking to hop on this rocket ship with us and it's humbling um, and you kind of pinch yourself that you have an opportunity to work with these amazing people and set the, set the tone, if you will, for sort of how we want to run Rind and do it the right way and how we, uh, how we partner with suppliers in our, in the whole ecosystem, um, you know, philosophy of, uh, kill them with Rindness basically, oh, where like everything you do is tactical and has purpose behind it. Um, that's the kill part, but the rightness is everything is done from a place of empathy and, uh, you know, real thoughtfulness and making sure it's not a transaction, but that you're growing something together. So again, unbelievably fulfilling. Uh, we're both people, 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 whatever, and yeah. uh, getting to know the people in the organization and having an opportunity to see a future where we have all these Ryan rock stars and we're all, you know, building something special. It's a dream. 
Yeah. Oh, I bet. It's got to be really, really cool to see other people like get behind what you guys believe in, right? Like it's one thing to invest, another thing to like be an employee and, and start to build that dream. Is it been, um, has it been tough to build? Like we've been talking about this a lot recently on the podcast. It's just like, how do you build culture in this remote environment? Has that been quite a, not necessarily a struggle, but a challenge, I guess? Yeah, I mean, say there, there's no playbook for building a company, you know, in a COVID world. It's definitely, we're all kind of learning on the fly. Um, culture is incredibly important to Matt and I. I'd say, you know, the advantage is when we look to hire people, we've definitely got a policy of they can be remote, which allows us to have a really wide pool of talent. And I think we've got a phenomenal team and not to say we wouldn't if we were looking to hire only locally in New York, but the ability to hire the best people wherever they may live domestically um, has allowed us to build a really great team, but it is important to make sure that, you know, we bring people together. So while we have a lot of weekly Zooms and, you know, I'd probably spend five hours, you know, a day on, on Zooms, whether it's you know, <laughs> with, with, with Ryan or Taylor and sales or, you know, operations, uh, we are doing, you know, an in-person uh, planning session next week in New York. We all got together in New York uh, over the summer. And I think, you know, it's something that we're going to, as the world opens up, make it a priority to make sure that at least once a quarter, if not, you know, more frequently than that, the whole team is getting together because while Zooms are great, I think that face-to-face -face time as a whole team um, is really important in terms of culture building, but also in terms of idea generation. I think it's, you know, some of the best ideas come when like the team's out at happy hour on a Thursday night. And it's really important to make sure that we still cultivate those kind of conversations and allow the team to brainstorm together in the same room. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's been, it's been interesting to hear people's perspectives on that. Cause I've been surprised to see, that's great to hear you guys are open to like the remote idea. I, I've been surprised to see how many brands, not necessarily brands like smaller brands, but a lot of bigger companies, I felt like COVID was an opportunity for them to kind of allow more of that to maybe like get a wider net. Um, so that's great. You guys are, are capitalizing on that. Cause I think to your point, it just opens the net to be, you know, the best talent comes to you guys instead of just worrying about where they're necessarily sitting day to day, which is exciting. Um, I also, I'd also just add to Ben said, you know, I, I love the fact that because CPG, uh, we're both kind of new to CPG. We didn't bring legacy expertise and a lot of the hiring we're doing are individuals and talented folks who have uh, more CPG experience than we do, even though we've, you know, we built the brand to where it is today. And what I like is that when you're just in one field for a long time and you can build a wonderful career there. But for me, what I was finding was I was kind of in an echo chamber <laughs> where you were reading the same things as everyone else. You were, you know, you weren't just, you weren't learning in a major step function way, an entirely new set of challenges and problems, which I actually think unlocks tremendous creativity and problem solving when you have to dive into something new, take everything you've learned from say finance, which is amazing framework for understanding lots of different industries, and then really figuring out how to build a business in a new space, super hard. And, uh, but by doing so, I think you, you're, you expand so much of your horizon, your ability to learn from other people in other arenas that are building their careers. And I think just be better off for it. So I love that we're building this with outsider experience, uh, with more financial lens. And then we're layering in people that have marketing chops and operations, you know, deep operations and sales experience. It, it really works well. Yeah, no, I'm sure it does. I mean, it's cool too to think you guys 
what you just laid out, everyone on your team for the most part is spread out around the country. So you guys are probably also getting just perspectives and trends and you're seeing, you're getting people from all different walks of life, which is really cool. Um, so you guys, the, the other thing I want to hit on is you guys have uh, obviously the dried fruit, which we've talked about. And you guys, I have one over here if you guys are watching on YouTube, but you guys recently launched a, uh, apple crisps, orange crisps, and is it kiwi? What was the third one? Kiwi? Yeah, kiwi chips. Yeah. So, which by the way, these are phenomenal. They're delicious. I, I When I first got these, I, I couldn't believe, I was like, I cannot believe that this is this has not been a thing. Like they're so good. Um, but would love for you guys to just give everyone a little bit of a background on the two different products and then like what they can expect in the near future and maybe even distant future from Ryan. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'll give a little of the rationale behind the two product lines and then I'll, give, I'll let Ben give a sneak peek at the pipeline of what's to come. Um, you know, we started with dried fruit. Category is uh, sleepy, to say the least. A lot of usual suspects, raisins, prunes, mango. A lot of the category had added sugar or sulfur dioxide, you know, very off trend from where the puck was going. So our first, you know, mark on the dried fruit category was more innovative fruits that offer more functional benefits, particularly fiber and vitamins because of the rind and have a sustainable mission-driven purpose to them. They, they eliminate edible peels from going to landfill and use rescued fruit that would otherwise go to waste. So uh, made a big improvement in an existing category of dried fruit and really brought some sex appeal by our packaging, our combination of fruits in the stand-up pouch behind you, which is cocoa melon. Um, at the same time, we recognized that consumers that want a classical chewy dried fruit experience that we were offering something for them, but that the chips market, the crispy market is 10 times the size of the dried fruit market. Mm. That's when you factor in tortilla chips, puffs, uh, you know, vegetable chips, et cetera. So it's, it's very big and the velocities and the turns, everything is um, bigger. And yet there hasn't been anything that has been a crossover that uses fruit beyond apple chips. Apple chips is trodden ground. We think we make the best apple chip on the market, but we want to be this crossover snack that can blur the lines between sad and sleepy fruit snacks, which we have made cool and unhealthy, but delicious tasting salty snacks that no one really feels good about finishing a whole bag. Yes. Whereas if you're eating a whole bag of orange chips, you're getting 300% DV of vitamin C, you're getting 16 grams of fiber. It's an enjoyable experience. You're dipping it in guacamole. Like that is uh, infinitely healthier for you than a bag of fried potatoes. And you really haven't sacrificed on that classic crunch. That's where we deliver on, but you're doing it with fruit as the base. And that's the segue, I would say, for Ben to give you a window into how we're looking to innovate off of a chips line, crispy line that we think is very complementary to our chewy line. Yeah, so I think we have a lot of white space in front of us still. You know, again, we, we have seen some really strong distribution growth this year in the, the chewy line. The chips line just launched over the summer and we've seen some really nice wins early on. There's a lot of room for us to run in both of those categories. Um, but when we think longer term, you know, we really think of ourselves as being a skin on snacking platform, at least the potential to be that. 
And, you know, it starts with fruit. We think fruit is sort of the most obvious place to start with that. You know, there's, again, 15% of all, you know, food waste is, is fruit peels. And, you know, there's so much to do there to educate consumers that, hey, you can eat the peel, stuff in away your orange rinds and your grapefruit <laughs> and your kiwi and everything else. Um, but beyond that, we think there's a real opportunity to get into the vegetable space, the nut space. I mean, anything that's really got a nutrient-dense outer layer is something that we will eventually, as we build that connection with the consumer and earn the right to do it, go after. So we think we have a long runway of product innovation. Um, it's just important to make sure that we focus on execution with what we think is already a, a strong lineup of exciting products. Love it. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited. You guys have crushed it on the two already. Big fan. And to hit on Matt's point, it was funny. Saturday, I got back from a round of golf. I was like, I'm, I'm not hungry enough to like eat a huge meal right now, but I'd love a snack. And I ripped open the bag of apple chips. I started watching the Purdue football game. And by the time I looked down, I'd ate the whole bag. And I'm like, well, there we go. I, just, I don't feel as bad as I would have if I ate a whole bag of potato chips. But I just ate a whole bag of rind. So there you go. It works. It does happen. One, one ingredient. So, yeah, you can't feel too bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, love that. So one of the last couple of questions I love to ask founders that come on here. Um, obviously, you guys are crazy busy. You're running a business. You both have families. What do you guys use to, you know, plan your, whatever it's, if it's business goals, personal goals, and then like, what do you use to just get shit done on a daily basis? Whether that's an app, whether that's pen and paper, like what is it that both you two, Ben and Matt use to be productive? Uh, Ben is very type A and super organized and thank God for that. Uh, I'm very right brain. I think it's right brain where it's like the ridiculous ADHD creative thing going on. So I'm old school. I have this like giant oh, calendar pen and paper <laughs> with a highlighter uh, method where <laughs> any meetings I deem super important um, or events, I highlight it and the whole page ends up being highlighted. So, <laughs> uh, you know, between calendar invites and old school, like day runner, giant calendars, that's my methodology. I will put a plug in there that I probably wouldn't have been on Slack if I was still in my old, you know, finance career, but yeah. I do find the collaborative real-time workflow of Slack uh, in the beginning was probably annoying, but is now just so essential to getting stuff done. Um, so those are my, those are my hacks. Love it. Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't have a printed out calendar. <laughs> uh, you know, I generally try not to use paper unless I need like a wet signature for something. Um, but I'd say, you know, for the most part, I use uh, my inbox and my email as my to-do list. And okay. if if I need to do something, I email it to myself. And, you know, in, until I deal with something, it's, it's in my inbox. And I generally try to keep it pretty, you know, neat and tidy. So if something is still in my inbox, even if it's from three months ago, like until I deal with it, it sits in there. And again, I, I send around to-do lists every weekend to Matt and myself with, you know, what's on the agenda. And hopefully at least every week we're cutting some of that down and adding new things. Um, but I do think it's important with a small business with a lot of different directions that we can go in to stay really organized. And, you know, again, using email and to-do lists, um, I think has just gotten us <laughs> pretty far so far. Uh, we'll see how it goes as the team grows, but um, you know it's working so far. Love it. Yeah, no, it is interesting that you know with two people versus what I'm sure it'll look like when you have a whole huge team, right? It's that's Slack though. I agree. I've been a big, big fan of Slack ever since I worked at Walmart.com. They were one of the like first enterprise 
accounts that I think signed on and I, I felt things move faster. Like you don't have to wait for an email or a call or a meeting. Like things just happen. I feel like on Slack. Totally. And it's not like it's earth shattering tech, right? It's, it's AOL, it's instant messenger for like business function and enterprise, but such a simple concept of setting up channels and teams. And it was, you know, it, it makes work in the environment we're in today, especially, you know, uh, helpful. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, last two real quick questions. I know we're running out of time. The one just source of knowledge. So I love to always ask founders on here, whether it's a book, a podcast, what do you two both suggest to the audience listening today as a source of knowledge to just learn something new? Ben knows what I'm going to say. Um, (laughs) I'm super bullish on podcasts. I, I should do more traditional reading. You know, when I, when I get a book, I often do the audible download and listen to it over the course of too many runs. But um, podcasting is just like, I, I used to only be able to run to music. And now I find myself running to long form audio and just being engrossed in whether it's a fellow founder story or it's like learning a new skill or the daily or whatever. And there's one in particular that um, a friend of mine turned me on to a long time ago. And the guy just puts out some amazing content after Simply Finance, of course. Oh, of course, yes. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's this guy, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, who runs a podcast called Invest Like the Best. And it's that intersection, I, I relate to it because it's a very much an investor and business builder intersection. And he just gets entrepreneurs and founders to open up and tell their story, their vision in such a non-cookie cutter way, where it's like a conversation like we've just had, that I always find unbelievable nuggets from it. And Ben and I are usually like on the weekends texting each other podcast episodes. We're like, dude, you got to listen to this. He's like, oh, I listened to that one. That one was incredible. So that's one I share. Um, and I would share with your team that if they're listening to your podcast, they'd probably also like invest like the best. Love that. I have not heard that yet. So I definitely will check that out. Now you're going to get me involved. Now I, I want to hear what Ben is. Uh, yeah, no podcast. I mean, I, I worked out every morning listening to podcasts. Um, it's sort of like my daily ritual to just have a little bit of, of time. Although the, the, the kids are coming in more recently trying to get me to help them with sit up. So it's very distracting. I'm like, guys, I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> Um, but yeah, invest like the best, uh, could not recommend it more strongly. It is, um, I think an unbelievable blend of, again, investors, entrepreneurs, you know, business builders, and in the seat that I'm in now, it is just, um, I think incredibly educational and thought provoking. And there's just so many nuggets, you know, whether it's somebody who's, you know, from Andreessen Horowitz, or it's somebody who's building a gaming company in the metaverse, like there's always some nugget to be learned that, you know, whether it can be applied to Rind or just thinking about building a business, um, it's really, really impactful. So that is something that I think, um, again, it's a daily ritual. During the football season, I probably spend a little too much time listening to like recaps on Monday of, you know, what happened on Sunday, but otherwise, invest like the best is my go-to listening uh, on, on, on the regular. Love it. I will definitely add a link to that on the show notes. That's really cool. Um, Last and most important question is how can people follow along with both of your journeys? And then of course, how can they get involved in Try Ryan? Cool. Shameless plug. Uh, so Ryan is available in more and more places. Uh, the easiest of which is to come into our brand through our own site, Ryan Snacks, um, and, uh, or on Amazon. And we have you know a ton of information about 
the product, the story, and then an initiative we didn't talk about, but we're really proud of, which is sort of a, uh, a pay it forward initiative around nutrition education for uh, nutrition insecure youth. Um, in markets we serve, we donate products uh, weekly, uh, bags of rind to local schools in underserved communities and help educate children about healthy snacking habits, eating habits uh, early so that they know what a real fruit snack should look like and not what some candied product is. And um, so that's one way to learn more about us is find us on Rind Snacks and learn about the Love is Rind program. Um, ben, where else? Yeah, I mean, you can find us, you know, pretty much everywhere. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to be launching into about 2,000 CVS stores. So, you know, awesome. that's really exciting. Yeah, it's our first kind of national brick and mortar account. So I actually went over and picked them up at the CVS around the corner from me in Westchester, New York. Uh, earlier this afternoon it was really exciting to see it in there. Um, but, you know, what, if you live in the Northeast, again, Whole Foods, Wegmans, Fresh Market, we're in just launched into Meyer, we're in Rayleigh's and Fresh Time. So a lot of really exciting accounts. Um, and, you know, again, we're available on Hunger Root and Perfect. So if you go looking for Rind, you're sure to find it. Definitely. <laughs> no, I love that. Love. It. I figured you guys were going to say uh, TikTok because you guys are a new up and coming TikTok oh. brand. Forgot that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. We're definitely, uh, you know, we're definitely embracing the youth where we're going after um some ridiculous videos on tiktok you know everyone is a content company these days that also sells dried fruit <laughs> like as the side definitely and definitely. i am very impressed with what our team both on the marketing side and some of the interns we've been fortunate to have have been able to do as far as viral tiktok content and um on our social you know our social feeds if you really want to get a great representation of the brand check us out on instagram um and you know linkedin is amazing as well like uh, it's not just about my and you know my own or ben's professional networks but it's about the rhine brand page which has amassed several thousand followers which is amazing and we love to post frequent updates there so i find linkedin to be an increasingly valuable you know uh tool for us as we grow the business yeah, no, I love that. Definitely check Ryan out on all those. I'll add the links to the show notes. I know for LinkedIn, LinkedIn to me, it's funny. I started to realize I started going to LinkedIn over Instagram sometimes. And I'm like, wow, this is what's happening. My thumb's going into a different app. <laughs> Amazing. No, LinkedIn's Amazing. becoming really cool, especially for CPG food. I feel like it's become like a hotspot for people. Very Amazing. cool. Well, thank you guys. I know we went over a little bit. So thank you for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Love what you guys are building and I uh, love learning a little more about your story. Thanks, Shane. Awesome. All right, started. guys. We'll have a good yeah. one. See ya.